Empire Friends, how's it going? Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Lydia Lunch. I'm coming at you after uh, a week of shows, so my voice is a little shot, but we're going we're gonna to introduce this right. So Lydia is a profound artist. She's a singer-songwriter. She's a poet. She's an actress, filmmaker, and self-empowerment speaker. And I think the self-empowerment thing is found across all her work. I was a little intimidated with this interview just because of the her immense career. The amount of films she's been in, the amount of records she's made, and even books that she's written, it's a huge list. It's quite an accomplishment, and it was really hard to jump right into it. But to gain a grasp musically, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, one of her earliest bands, she fronted it, and it was a pioneer band in the no-wave music scene, but that wasn't the only band she was in. She was in a band called 1313, Eight-Eyed Spy, and most currently, Retrovirus, which is covering all her career in different ways. Now, Lydia should sound familiar for some of my return listeners. Um, in the episode with Adele Berté and Christian Hoffman, their careers have both passed significantly. Christian played drums with uh, Lydia during the uh, 1313 era. Lydia's got a lot going on. She's got a new documentary out about her by Beth B. called The War Is Never Over. Um, it's playing in certain theaters, and you can go to the website, her website, which is linked with this episode, and find a digital ticket to it, and I highly recommend you do. She is also currently working on her own documentary, um, Artist Depression, Anxiety, and Rage. She talks to 35 different artists about anxiety, depression, and rage. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the title of the documentary, but we talk about it during the interview, and it's exciting. And I think this doc- her telling this tale is going to be critically important and something to look out for. September 9th at the Buzzbin in Canton, Ohio, Lydia... Retrovirus is playing, headlining um, FemFest 2021, a power, a three-day celebration of powerful female music and art. Get your tickets. The link is below. Lydia Lunch and Retrovirus, September 9th, Buzzbin, Canton, Ohio. Be there. It's going to be epic. It was a pleasure to talk to Lydia. She has such, for someone who's been through so much, she has such a way of empowering the individual by just showing that you can love yourself as much. And be, seeing someone and interacting with someone and listening to someone who is so at one with themselves is so comforting. It makes it empowers you to do the same. But throughout this conversation, there was a bunch of Lydiaisms and just how she handles and is so comfortable with herself is inspiring and fun. This was a great chat, and I'm very excited to share it with you guys. Before we get into it, I have to share that she also has a podcast. Lydia has a podcast called The Lydian Spin, and uh, I highly recommend that. There is some absurdly amazing guests on it, like Wayne Kramer's on it. Um, That was the last one I listened to, but they've been going at it for a minute. There's a lot of episodes to dive into. Um... If you guys can like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast and all the podcast platforms, being on the podcast conversation helps me keep talking to amazing guests like Lydia and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, Lydia Lunch. 
Well, that's definitely a calling that you have to do that and to help people focus when they have a very different kind of reality, which most musicians do anyway. Yeah. So it's great to help people apply, you know, their specificity to an art form. I appreciate so thank that. You for, thank you for that. I appreciate that. But um, that comes from artists like you who show it's possible. Because it's so hard, like, there there seems to be such a mold of what we think things are, but um, where you got your start, like, that broke that mold and showed that there is different ways to look at what we've been looking at and different ways to express it and kind of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And well, go ahead. I was, was going to say, and boil it down to just this expression. And that's okay, you know what I mean? A lot of, like... It's okay just to like thrash this thing and express this in any means possible. And that wasn't possible before. Well, I don't know. I mean, we could go back to out jazz and we can go back to any number of art forms with people just banging out the need to bang things out because if they didn't, it blood would boil over. So I don't know. I don't know if I really broke any new ground there, but I just carried on in a, in an obscure yet important tradition, whether it be surrealist, Dada, out jazz, um, music concrete, call it what you call it, what you will. I don't like to define it. Right. Which is pretty Dada of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> but that's awesome. And I think that's it. just the, the fact that you're out there doing it is keeping that idea fresh and keeping that possibility still possible. And, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I did from like probably the age of nine feel I had a calling to do what I do to be a mouthpiece for those that can articulate the scream inside so many of us, even though, you know, I may be speaking directly to an intellectual, a political, a sexual and a musical minority. I still found there was a big gap that, my big mouth needed to step in and try to address. And hence, I'm still screaming into the void. The void's pretty loud. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The void's pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. um, nobody, said, nobody said a black hole is dead either. So, I mean, you know, there's so many levels of different kinds of energy that we exist within. And so much of what actually exists, we don't see and we don't hear. So we're really just infants, vehicles of microbes and bacteria on this planet. Probably a parasitical universe within the solar system. But my, there is a lot of incredible beauty, unbelievable art, literature, and great people. So here we are. I'm loving it. <laughs> it's beautiful it's absurd but there's beauty within that absurd um, oh, absolutely I, I think really that you know people might not get that a few, I, I'm just going to address what I know people don't really get and they don't get how funny I am unless they talk to me they don't get that I'm kind of laughing hysterically at the mouth of the apocalypse because I think it's apocalypse always and forever yes the war is never Frickin' over. Hello, every day. More so, again. Hello. It, it is proven this. But also, you know, pleasure is the ultimate revenge. And, and 
you have to find beauty. Otherwise, the enemy wins by driving you insane with fear and and, and horror. And I refuse. I just frickin' refuse. Right. Pleasure is the ultimate revenge. Well said. Well ultimate said. rebellion, because what else do we have? I mean, and it's the first thing they try to steal from us, whether it's, you know, through economic, through, whether through poverty, through religion, through parents, through bullyism, through school, through every device they can think of. I mean, they try to batter the individual into being just, you know, another cog in the machinery. Ain't going to happen here. It, it, it start, it's, all, it's all from the rip. Like we're all like kind of programmed to do the same thing. React when you hear the spell, go there. Don't ask questions like that. It don't no no that's not how it is. You think this way, you think that way, especially with like media now. Like so uh, there's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know I, I can't I can't I mean I hear you so well and you haven't even said what you're gonna say because I'm like <laughs> screaming not I'm just screaming exactly. And the thing is on this I'm just gonna jump in because on this front, in a sense the enemy has won because they have created this consumer society with the attention span of a frickin' gnat that it's all about a picture slide, a picture slide, next, 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 one song maybe. And it's, it's has, they have reduced people's attention spans to such a commodification in itself that it is just breeding kind of robots that want to be popular for no freaking reason, as if that is a goal in this one. Never been my goal. You know, the first song I wrote, I never recorded it. Was popularity is so boring, as if I would ever know what that meant. <laughs> that is an evil. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. It's crazy because like there's a, the the idea, like you know, punk kind of brought music into like a, a knit, like a short amount of time to express this thing right quick. But it wasn't, it wasn't the same as like how we like are segmented things now. Like it's to the point where like, um, kid, like at least being around kids, I noticed they, the, the whole TikTok chunk of a song, like not even a whole song, just like the chorus of a song is now getting to be the goal. Like, and it, it, it boils down the beauty that a whole song can, a whole song can incorporate, let alone well, an I, album. I'm going to relate it to my own situation in the sense that this, um, you know, I have Facebook and Instagram. I don't run them like, you know, my, my, my grand helpers do because I need billboard, a billboard for what I'm doing. I don't like comments, positive or negative. I'm not engaging in a conversation. I don't have time to engage in a conversation. I'd rather have a monologue, as you can tell. Right. But it's bizarre that, you know, I've been doing this pod, my podcast, The Lydian Spin, for two years with incredible, incredible musicians, artists, visual artists, writers, political thinkers, all kinds of different people. And, you know, I'll have 17,000 followers on Instagram and 1,000 people listening to the podcast. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Now, I don't care about the numbers, right. but you understand how that that division is to me freaking perverse. I don't get it. It's like because people would rather see a picture next, next. It's uh, it's very, very. It, it is what it is. We know right. what it is. Oh well, it's what it is. Yeah, it's like what the, the, I get it. 
it's so weird because like I especially your podcast is great and uh, the format of how you set it up how you and Tim come in and talk about uh, just kind of current things and jump into the interview and like you've had like you've had Wayne Kramer on there Pat Loud like the, some amazing guests right before he died the incredible Def Jam uh, photographer who did Beastie Boys and LL yeah. yeah we've had you know, Penny Slinger, one of my favorite female artists, who people don't know, have to go and investigate. We've just had so many people, you know, um, that it's, inc- and we're, you know, carrying on. We're not, it's not going to stop. And we're certainly not funded. Um, but it, it, especially during the pandemic, it was such a good time to do that because, you know, word to me is still the most important form of, of communicating. And in light of the fact that, I mean, I was lucky because right before the pandemic, I'd been on, I'd been touring a lot for two years. So I had only really lost one show, according to my grand <laughs> divination of just timing, bizarre as it is. I had other things I was going to be doing. And so I was actually very lucky. So many musicians had tours canceled, still have tours canceled, et cetera. But um, the pandemic really helped to make the podcast for me so important because well, there was a lot to say, especially to right. you. Still, yeah. and there's a lot of people to talk to, and to me, it's just in a continuation of what I've always done, which is to collaborate with people, which is to try to expose, you know, people to other people, uh, and it's definitely the next step from, you know, the Beth B documentary, "The War Is Never Over," which, you know, the podcast is kind of a continuation of that, and at the same time, during this last year. I've been working on my own documentary on artists, depression, anxiety, and rage. And I've interviewed with Jasmine Hurst, who's done a lot of videos and photographs with me, 35 musicians and artists. Now, I don't have depression or anxiety uh, at this point. I'm rage, take it to the stage. I never get mad in my personal life. But almost every one of my friends is plagued with one or three of these conditions. And not only them, and I actually saw a chart that was like at the top of the depresso graph, musicians, poets, writers, then it drops down to sports figures, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, by some studies, 73%, I think it's an understatement, of musicians have depression, anxiety, or rage. It's understandable. (laughs) Wow. That's one. That sounds like an amazing documentary. Um, Really poetic and really beautiful. I think it's really mandatory. I mean, we edited it down from 50 hours. Now we're down to 70 minutes. We're still working a bit on it. But it's really poetic. And, and the people are just, you know, they really, some people said it was the best therapy session they've ever had, which to me is fantastic news. That's, with both those, like, with anxiety and depression, it's like, where where how do you even start to lift that? And I think a lot of times expressing expressing that and being able to express that with somebody and know that you're not the only one that kind of has these feelings and these, these, uh, difficulties is huge. And I can see that, like, if you have that much material and like to boil it down, that's, that's a lot of people trying to express yeah. earnestly. Oh my I know. So. At one point, at one point it was getting a bit, he- <laughs> let's just say an understatement, getting a bit heavy. Yeah. So we decided, and my friend termed this, my friend Joseph Keckler termed this phrase. So I had Jasmine over to my house. We're working on this documentary. And we're like, oh, God, we need some relief from this. So I said, in bed, Jasmine, we're going to watch Big Frida. I don't know if you know who Big Frida is. <laughs> we're going to watch Big Frida 
one of the happiest, I don't even know how to describe, bounce queens from New Orleans. And during the commercial, we're going to edit. So we bedded it for a while. And that, that helped. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you got that, that's a big thing is taking that check, seeing like, okay, if I keep doing this, this is going to wreck some stuff and being able to call and re- change those uh, uh, the, uh, dopamine spikes oh, and yeah. even it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, it, it was, it was well, it was a well-deserved session of bedding at that, at that point. But you know, there's so many reasons why there's so many causes of depression or anxiety. I mean, from hereditary genetics, gut bacteria, right. nature, nurture, parents, existential chemical imbalance. I mean, it's not one thing, but what's interesting is when dealing, when talking to people about anxiety, almost Everyone I talk to says the same thing. They have thought loops. They're like caught in this like psychological Tourette, which to me, I mean, I think, look, I'm an in-camera editor. I think of something, I do it. That's it. Now I write, I don't even edit. My, my writing is, is just, it comes out as it is because I'm really like an in-camera editor of writing and everything I do. Uh, That's just a gift I have. And I appreciate it more after talking to so many people that are caught in these thought patterns that that are just like being on an endless uh, Ferris wheel going round and round. It's so, it's so horrifying to me. And, you know, and then with the rage, which people just say is depression turned outward. What I just recently realized uh, when talking to another one of my friends is, besieged with these conditions is, you know, one of the first spoken word pieces I wrote was called Daddy Dearest. And that was right out the gate. And I think dealing with that immediately saved me from many years of of anxiety or depression or rage, because I was able to puke forth the pain, which I always knew mine was not the worst, that I'm speaking for other people that can't articulate this. And and I was just telling a friend of mine who's also a writer, I'm like, you have to write a letter to your mother who was, you know, the bane of your existence the same way I wrote it right out of the gate. And it, and it really puking the poison out when others have shat, you know, on our psychic defenses is just a really good, really, like, really good advice. I don't know what else to call it. I mean, it's mandatory. Because you know you are not alone. And the thing is, I never felt like I was alone. I never had shame or humiliation. I saw the bigger picture. I saw that whatever trauma the individual has, which usually starts in the home, in school, with religion or poverty, it's so much bigger because then it goes on to the politics in this country. Then it goes on to the politics of the world. And then it goes on to the thought of, you know, this ever-present evil eye in the sky condemning you till eternal damnation as a way of controlling you. Gotta go. Right. <laughs> Gotta go. Always been my subjects, you know, the unholy trilogy, the father, the father of our country or any country, and God the fucker. Gotta go. <laughs> That's no, a hundred percent. Well, and what's what's amazing about it is it's you, you just even doing that is you taking action over it. And right. knowing you can, as opposed to like bottling up and feeling like you can't do that. And like right. it, yeah, a lot of people get caught in that because right. they do feel that they're alone because they think it only happens in my house or only happens to me. And no, I mean, the thing is, horror is so widespread and in so many different flavors. And so, and, and also, I mean, look, as spoiled white people, to whatever degree, even right. if we're not completely 
even if we're not the one percent, right? Right. We still have it so much better, right. in spite of disaster that this country is in, and we do have you know that privilege, uh, which doesn't necessarily make you feel any better. But however, we have to. And it's interesting. I was talking to Meryl of Tune Yards yesterday. She'll be on my podcast soon, and she had to deal with a lot of white privilege guilt. And she did it in her music, and it was very interesting to speak to her. Interesting. How did she? How did she express it musically? Like, or how did she handle that lyrically? And she was just talking about it for a while. She was just like, "Oh, oh," because she was accused of appropriation. Give me a fucking break. Wherever you're influenced by, whatever you want to pay homage to, it's like everybody appropriates everything. Nothing is fucking original. It's the way that you present it. That it's the spin you put on it. Get the, you know, appropriation, cancel culture. Fuck, get the hell out of here. I canceled them before they could cancel me. Whoever they are. I don't care. Yeah, the cancel culture things, it, it, it doesn't help anything. Even if it's, no. It, there's no way to learn if, you know, if someone's not fucking up. If you, you know what I mean? Like, if there's n- even, like, not to say, you know, that all that stuff is good, but we got to learn from somewhere don't act like that guy. Don't think like oh. that guy. That's, but if there's no, none of that around, and we're only, you know, there's no individuality. There's no growth because there's just st- like stagnant. Well, what I find so bizarre in this time, and and you know, I always think one of my mantras is the same as it ever was. Is it really much different than feudal times? There's still these false kings. You know, slavery has been expanded so that most of the world is in it. Because if you think $15 an hour is going to get you out of poverty, it is not. And most people don't even get that. So wrong. But I mean, and the, what's really perverse to me is we have the new Puritans, the new Puritanical. And by the way, America was founded by the Puritans, not for religious freedom, but for freedom to be religious freaks uh, and mass murderers. So we have the new Puritanism on one side and then we have Cardi B on the other. I mean, this is such a wide it's a conundrum to me. It's like, I mean, it's it's kind of bizarre. Very. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's just kind of freaking bizarre. You know, and we have, oh, uh, somebody cat called me. Well, in the meantime, women are being stoned to death in Afghanistan, you know. In the meantime, people are having their heads cut off for being journalists. I mean, ugh. Need I say something else? No, 100%. Like, it's... The, it's but if you don't like if you're hyper like if you don't get to see the bigger picture like that, it's hard to it's hard to realize that like I don't, maybe not hard to realize but like it 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 really you can hyper fixate on something that's not as not to say that getting cat called is not shitty because it's shitty but you know what of I mean course. like I I listened to a you you did a, a <laughs> you did a a podcast with Adele Berté. Um, and the conversation you guys got into was like, sock the guy at one point. I'm like, yeah, well, sock mean, the look, guy. Yeah, hello. One of my mantras was, you know, women were once warriors. What right. happened? I'd rather call the newspaper for, you know, kicking someone in the shins, making them fall down, poking them in the eyes on the way down, having them cry for their mommy. Then because they grabbed my ass, I'm not going to call the paper on that. I'd rather call the newspaper because I took somebody out. I mean, we can't. <laughs> Change really, I mean, 
look, not all men are assholes. We know this. I mean, mostly just men in positions of power, but most assholes are men. I mean, but we can't continue to play the victim. I mean, when there are much greater horrors out there, I mean, that's my only thing. I don't, I'm not blaming victims. I'm blaming mothers for not teaching their daughters how to, you know, self-defense or psychic or verbal physical defense against, you know, inconsequential idiots. And I'm blaming fathers for not teaching respect, but we have come a long way. And part of that is reflected just in, for instance, gender fluidity now. That's a great, great progress that we're making. Right, right. And the more of that that comes out, the better as a whole everything is going to be. Because the, I, mean, I think one of the biggest problems is sexual segregation as children. Act like a man, be tough, don't cry, smile, be pretty, don't be mean, fuck off. Yeah. No, definitely. And like just being allowed to be okay with yourself is you know what I mean great and there needs to be more of that and like the exception of it but like uh, um but also knowing that you have the ability to like re like I, I like you and Adele put it in a good way where like like how you just said bringing that power back and not to not to diminish those situations and or victim all, blame, no. not to right. victim blame but also more than in power and that's one thing I love about what you do is like you shine light on stuff like that and shine light on like chances where uh, there could be you have it you can do it you can right. handle the situation. Women are pretty freaking powerful. I mean, some of us shit out watermelons. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm pretty pretty fucking powerful, honey. If you were feeling my thighs right now, you'd know. You'd only put your head between them if I let you. Come on now. <laughs> that's another evil chortle, Dave. Just had to get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a hundred percent. And like, I, I know that's important here too. It's important to like, even just think it not, not to incite violence either. Not to like be like, no. you know, beat people up, but like to know that you not can to bow down. Exactly. Exactly. Not to be so oversensitive that some creep is going to ruin your day. I mean, but you know, I mean, both Adele and I, I mean, growing up, we both grew up in, you know, hardcore situations, but then right. New York in the late seventies, every, literally every five steps as a woman, you were getting hassled. So my way of dealing with it was, cause you can't verbally or physically box everyone who's an idiot was with humor. And it won because they'd be laughing and I'd be down the street, Right. you know, and one of my podcasts, I think it was the one with Tanya Pearson where I, I give women some advice on how to deal hilariously with with creeps, you know. Somebody goes, do you like older men? No, I don't. They smell like cheese. They put your, their hand on your back. Say, why don't you lower it so I can shit in your hand? I mean, there are ways of dealing with things. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, maybe a guy, I don't, I don't even know what else to say. Yeah. Yeah, they're all uh, dealing. Look at the bigger picture. It's a matter of perspective. Right. I mean, you can't sum everything up. I mean, look, this is why I'm still freaking talking after 43 years. Like, you can't sum everything up. I'm not a solutionist, but I will continue to make noise about the shit that still bothers not only me, but a lot of other people. It's all I can do in right. whatever format I choose to do it in. Right. No, and I think, I don't just, just kind of touch upon the humor thing. The humor thing. Can, I, I think that one it can uh, it makes comfort within you and the 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 person who's uh, in this case being a creep. You, you know <laughs> what I mean? It lightens it. it automatically flips right. the situation. If anything, it embarrasses the other person, which well, automatically well, humbles laughing, them. Let them let them laugh. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Another another street trick I have is almost every woman I ever see on the street, I always say, "You look beautiful today, darling." Like, and it's not a predator thing. It's just 
that women, we, first of all, women often smile at each other when they're on the street. I don't know why. We just do. You know, I like to smile at old people and I like to, and I like to flirt with women just because they should be told they're beautiful. They should, without being predated upon, they should be, give them a little joy. Right. I mean, it's just something I do because I think it's needed. I don't need to hear it, but I don't mind saying it to somebody else because, you know, that's what I can, that's the joy I can spread. <laughs> when I'm breaking down everything that annoys me on the other side of that coin comes just spreading whatever bit of joy or mirth or pleasure. <laughs> that's a good balance of it. Um, it's interesting because, like, I, I heard some comedians say this, and I'm I'm sure you have too, but I'm blanking on, on the comedian's name. Um, she, she brought up this bit where she's like, guys will say, what's up, boss? What's up, champ? And girls will be like, Hey, bitch. You know what I mean? Like, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, uh, the, their compliments are kind of demeaning to themselves in some way. And like going around like that and being, Hey, you look good today and breaking kind of that kind of like maybe yeah. like. Feeling. Well, I mean, I would never. <laughs> I gotta tell you another trick just while we're on tricks of how people All can right. die. All right. I'm done. With things. For instance, I was on a, you know, I was on a train and somebody was talking really loudly. I mean, really annoyingly, really dumbly on their cell phone. And when there was a tiny pause, I just went over and I said, you are so beautiful today. Really quiet. And their voice dropped by about 10 octaves. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go, yo, bitch, why don't you shut the fuck up? Right. No. I just went over and I went the opposite. And I just like, you are looking so beautiful today. You really are. And suddenly they started talking like that. Yeah. So you just have to be clever right. in this world. It's not so difficult to not jump to the first gut reaction. Or maybe you got too much bad bacteria in your gut and it's making you be oversensitive. Clean it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's interesting. Silence is the loudest dynamic, right? So like once things get quiet, they start to be heard louder in, in, in some cases, right? Like in that, you set the tone and like yeah. put that, that, uh, that person in check. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what's interesting, one of the words I say the most to Tim Dahl when darkness falls is volume because the darker it gets, unless I'm on stage, the quieter I like to get. And I do like silence. I'm not afraid of it. But I also like whispering because I'm paid to shout. Why would I do that in my spare time? That's ridiculous. Right, right. I, volume and duct tape, I often say to Tim Dahl, which means quiet down, Timmy. <laughs> does he smell? Does he still smell as good as he did in the oh, documentary? I'll let you know tomorrow night after rehearsal. Yes. <laughs> but it's a specifically when he's wearing a white T-shirt. Oh, I don't know. Okay. He okay. <laughs> just does. And that was the first question after one of the showings. I, I think it was at the New York Doc Festival yeah. here in Abigail, where the first question was, <clears throat> how does Tim Dahl smell? And I'm like, <laughs> mm, I bleach in the beach. He smells good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, got to give it a sniff test. Right, right. Um, so <laughs> the kind of shape some of a narrative here. So uh, I, I talked with Adele because um, – I read her book on Peter Loeffner, uh -huh. and um, I, I heard or read uh, um, from you that um, part of the reason that you headed to New York was reading Cream Magazine. Did you ever read of any of Peter's articles? Or well, I'm sure I did, but I certainly don't remember them off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, it's 
because I was interviewing Byron Coley the other day for the podcast. Yeah. So we were discussing a lot of those early rock magazines and also just, you know, I've known Byron for since the late seventies. It's interesting, maybe early 80, but yeah. And he, you know, kind of picked up, he certainly picked up the, 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 I don't even know how to call it. The slack after rock journalism waned at that one period because there were so many good rock magazines in the in the early and mid seventies. So many great rock writers. Right. Was well, it and, and Cream like Cream's had this? I guess had this thing that was drawing people. I don't know. Like I, Peter's story really captured me. And one th- like a, a common thread between. Uh, between aside from uh, the Cream magazine and and you and Adele and just being in the same area was in the uh, in Peter and the Wolf Adele, Wolf's Adele's book when she gets to New York she sees Suicide her first show is Suicide yeah mine too I know was that the same show I don't think so because I was there before she was okay I was about to I was about to lose my mind for a second I'm like that is so <laughs> cool but what a, what a group and like. Like it just how like now because you came to New York to do spoken word right? Well, I mean, but you know that was my goal. But right. I mean, at the time, it was just there was no really vehicle for it. So, well, well what's weird is so I I start a band that's half instrumental. Go figure that one out. <laughs> I guess because the title says enough. So sometimes, right? What what I found interesting though is like even though there was no vehicle for that, what like inspired you to do that? What like what what poetry well, I mean, were you was, getting into or like? Well, it was more like you know just literature in general, and I, I can't say there was a precedent. Okay. I mean, I could say it's interesting that you know when I landed in New York and moved into and, and squirmed my way into this loft as Kitty Bruce, Lenny Bruce's daughter, was leaving. Right. That was kind of an amazing signifier. Because, uh, you know, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, but I mean, more so it was really literature that inspired me. And don't even ask me because I can't say, oh, yeah, uh, like so-and-so. I wanted to do I wanted to do a very different format. And, you know, on my band camp, there's uh, there's, you know, oral fixation, conspiracy of women and universal infiltrators. And Universal Infiltrators is a very different type of, I mean, I've done all different kinds of spoken word, but it's more like mystical. And what's interesting about that recording, and mostly my spoken word records are always live because that's where the energy is. But with Universal Infiltrators, and there's some of this kind of more mystical poetry and The War Is Never Over, the documentary that's coming, that's just out. And also on the DVD extra, there's performances with Mark Cunningham, who was in the band Mars, of this style of poetry that I'm speaking about. What was Universal Infiltrators? I did five shows with Dave Knight, who played with Daniel Dax and the Shockheaded Peters, and he was mixing 18 cassettes live. Wow. And yeah. it's really one of my favorite spoken word records. It's less of a harangue than most. It's not like a political, it's more like a more mystical poetry thing, but if you if you don't know it, it's on Bandcamp. You know, one late night when you might want to ooze into something, I do recommend. That's awesome. <laughs> now I did a deep dive on a lot of a lot of your uh, um, discography, um, but what it's interesting that the multiple formats of it and what like I'm, I'm not maybe I'm not looking for like a, a a person who influenced you, but just the idea of it, right? Because like if there's it had just... to be done. I mean, really, the, I mean, I just I felt it had to be said. It had 
to be done. And, you know, I brought a lot of people to the spoken word stage for the first time. Some never returned to it because they found it horrifying. I find it the most immaculate form of communication, the most powerful. It's not, of course, the most popular because you really got to kind of sink into it or not. You got to go for the ride and the ride can be rough. It can be rough going. And also when I first started doing spoken word, it started curating shows. I mean, you could only do 10 minutes. People just didn't have the attention span until you could find places that understood. And especially in Europe, there were more poetry festivals or places that even if they didn't understand the language could understand the concept, you know, or even like working with Hubert Selby, Last Exit to Brooklyn, Requiem for a Dream, The Room. He'd never been paid for doing a reading. He never went on tour. So it was just, you know, doing the spoken word support, producing a record by Wanda Coleman, an African-American professor, an amazing poet published on the same press as Charles Bukowski, Black Sparrow Press, no longer with us. But it was just so important. And also, you know, bringing other people to the spoken word stage, and especially curating multi-generational women to get their voices up there, you know. It's got to be done. So I did it. That's it's it's really that it's that simple. I just I'm stubborn. I'm relentless. That's amazing. That's how, that's what you get when you see when there's this thing that can potentially exist. You need that endless like uh, forward movement to make it happen. And uh, what what with your spoken word and just like how you were, we were talking about the multiple records being like different forms of it. It is that type of performance is terrifying in a way. Like when you're playing in a band or whatever, you're kind of behind it. You're with a group of people or you're hiding behind an instrument to some degree. And people, like even music is super easy for someone to be like, yeah, I'm here, I'm listening to you, but I'm also yeah, at the even, bar even talking if, to somebody. Even, right. Even if the music is is not comfortable, it's easier to slip into that right. than to just sit there. And one of my favorite insults was somebody said, and I, I, I think I even worked this into one of my spoken word records, why would I want to pay $5 to hear somebody who sounds like my sister on the rag? Well, I didn't make you freaking come here. <laughs> Maybe you should be listening to your sister when she's on the rag. You'll get a lesson in something. <laughs> but that being said, like, it's, it's, it's open to that. You know what I mean? It's open to people being like, it, one, I find it's harder to get people's attention with because musically it kind of just the the concept of how music affects our brain neurologically like it reacts in a different way you can hear right. it without hearing it. it it's doing a chemical reaction even if you're not actively right. listening to it yeah. so to get someone's attention and have them listen and have them understand or is, is a whole another set of issues and like yeah. or not issues or challenges i should say right and, well and look you know even if people are listening it doesn't mean they completely understand sometimes right. they I have felt that the less they understand the language, the more they might understand my sentiment. Uh, people, and it's, you know, it's, the thing is too, I mean, again, you don't have to come. If you don't want to hear it, you don't have to come. That's it. quite, quite simply that. And often I would curate in the beginning with, uh, you know, like not just spoken word. Eventually I came to just, you know, doing more spoken word evenings, but, you know, mix it up with some uh, performance art or some music but, you know, people then just understood it. And what's interesting is at the same time, I mean, there was, it was and I think it was because of the Reagan period, myself, Exine Cervanka, Jella Biafra, Henry Rollins, I mean, and, and others, we all at the same time kind of just came up with the need to speak about what was going down. 
And one of my favorite tours was when Exine and I can't even believe, I mean, I couldn't even do this many shows. I can't do this many shows now in America. We did 30 spoken word shows in America, and it was a tag team. So we were on stage at the same time. That record is called Root Hieroglyphics, and we were going back and forth. And that was a really cool format. That is really and, cool. And I mean, just something, I mean, I, yeah. you know, 30 shows, and this was like, I don't know, 90s, early 90s. Just, I couldn't even find 30 shows now in the States. I just can't, can't find them. Definitely, definitely not now. <laughs> Well, I mean, Retrovirus is going on tour September 7th through 16th, and uh, and I'll, I'll send you the flyer for that. As you know, we're coming to uh, Canton, Ohio. Right, for FemFest. You're in, are, you in, are you in Cleveland still or Cincinnati? Where are you? I'm in Cleveland, so yeah. it's like um, not far away. That's, um, well, do come. Definitely. If you're coming, let me know. I'll gladly put you on the guest list. Okay, I know that's cool. in Canton, Ohio. I'm there. I'm there, Lydia. That's going to be awesome. Right. Just remind me the day uh, the day before. No problem. We'll bring some friends. I know nobody else there. Never even <laughs> been to Canton, Ohio. Never even heard of Canton, Ohio. I'm glad to go there. It's, I guess, a FemFest, and they've extended it so Retrovirus can play. I'm very, very happy to be rocking out. Now is the time that we need some freaking rock music. Definitely. That, and what I guess one I'm trying to think. Canton the only claim to fame Canton has it's uh, um, Hank Williams Sr. either was leaving there or going there when he died. So that's well, what Canton, that's what Canton's got going. Well, which is kind yeah, of a bummer. You, might, you may have done your homework, but I guess you don't know. Maybe you do. <laughs> but I covered a song not written by Hank Williams Jr., but he did the best rendition of it, and it's called "Red, White, and Pink Slip Blues." Nice. And, and and Hank Williams Jr. does such a great rendition of it. So I did a covers album with Cypress Grove, collaborator I have from the UK. We did a whole album of cover songs, and that was really the hardest one because I had to. I've done cover songs forever. I love doing songs that we really hated, but and I don't even reconfigure them that much. It's just people are like, oh, I never heard those lyrics. I'm like, well, the reason I'm doing this song we all hated was because actually. There were good lyrics. We just never really heard them. And uh, so the Hank Williams Jr. cover, I parked my pickup truck around at Ricky Brown's garage over around the next block because there's a repo man coming around. You know, it's about yeah. the situation we're in. Anyway, I got a bit of country in me. You know it. <laughs> Bob, boom. Um <laughs> do, do you, uh, are you, so are you uh, a fan of Nancy Sinatra? Well, I covered a few of her songs. I mean, right. I don't know. I'm a fan of Lee Hazelwood, who wrote the songs. That's for sure. Okay, because like uh, that cover, you knocked that cover out. The one with uh, Roland. Uh, uh, well, Howard, yes, on Velvet Morning. But I also covered Lightning's Girl, which is a really obscure Nancy Sinatra Lee Hazelwood track with a night spy. Uh, I really like doing cover songs. I like fucking with the gender in it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That I always I love when. When it when it's changed like that, because it changes the whole perception of what the song is, and like and then you start the question like, well, what, what even was it to begin with? But um, yeah. but yeah, that I mean, I don't know too much about Lee Hazelwood uh, Woods uh, like uh, history or whatever background of it, but that record he did with Nancy, at least the first one, I think there's three of them, was really popping as far as cool yeah. tunes. Yeah, he was he was a definitely a perverse troubadour of the highest ranking. <laughs> 
you know, kind of on a scale, but on a different thing, kind of more psychedelic, but kind of like a Leonard Cohen in a way. Yeah. But, but, but more perversely pop. And I mean, really weird. I mean, and you know, music used to be, look, there's a lot of weird music still, no doubt, but I'm saying radio music, top 40 music, especially when I was an adolescent or early teenager, if you think about the music that was played on the radio in like 68, 69 to 73, I mean, we had like Ball of Confusion by The Temptation, Light My Fire, The Doors, you had Go Ahead, you know, Ask Alice by Jefferson's uh, Airplane. I mean, the music was so, you know, Ohio by, by the way, the song Ohio by Crosby, Sills, Nash and Young, there's an amazing live version by the Isley Brothers that mix it with Jimi Hendrix's Machine Gun. Oh, I do recommend right, immediately right. after this listening. Only the live version. It's so stellar. And, you know, Ohio, the song For Dead in Ohio, being about the, you know, student murders at Kent State by the U.S. Well, well yeah, of course. Um, that's a, that's a good combo wombo of that because I, I mean I, sh- I shouldn't say good combo wombo like as far as narratively the putting those two songs together that's, oh amazing, that's amazing. Um, the Are fact gonna, that no, the, I'm gonna hear it right when we hang up I'm gonna blast it you're gonna blast it you're gonna see what I'm talking about uh, definitely <laughs> but like nar- like the fact that the narrative has to exist isn't great at all but the the putting those two together is that's a that's a yeah. really interesting combo yeah yeah absolutely yeah, what a what an array of different like just like this is pop, you know what I mean? Like now when you, everything's so fed to the individual, but it's also like so it's perfect. and Soulless. Yeah, Soul. yeah, yeah. It's very like a, a, um, automated and like. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's automated. It's mass produced. There's 10 writers for every song. But I mean, that's, you know, that's the pop culture. Right. I mean, the underbelly is still out there. It just seems weirder, harder to find at this point. And it's bizarre because you would think there's so much more information, but I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm just speaking about myself, Adele, Weasel Walter, even we had to really search out word of mouth, uh, read magazines to find out and just considering the music. And I'm thinking of again, from we'll say the Stooges to Berlin by Lou Reed, that period of music is so weird so alternative, so good. And one of my favorite producers was Bob Ezrin, who produced Berlin and a lot of the Alice Cooper records until Billion Dollar Babies, which were all fantastic and, right. you know, high art concept, conceptual rock records. And uh, Bowie as well, up until I would say Diamond Dogs. You know, I'm a conceptualist. I haven't written like a rock opera concept yet, maybe coming. Um, not sure about that. Well, we'll yeah. see. Do you have any ideas of like a narrative for it? Like a narrative? I don't know. Okay. That'd I'll be awesome. Latest, I'll tell you the latest cover I did and oh, it's fantastic. And Weasel Walter played every instrument. War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Sick. Weasel. I'll send it to you. Yeah, that'd nope. be awesome. Weasel rips. That's a, a talented oh, he's musician. Ridiculous. Oh, he's so good. I know. He's so great. You should have him on your show. That'd be awesome. I would gladly talk to him. I heard he would, I'd love to talk to you. He's got new records coming out. He just put together this new uh, a compilation of a variety of my stuff, ending with War Pigs, which we we're putting out for the tour, which we have for the tour. You know, it's a variety of different kinds of stuff throughout the, the period. You know, the stuff that, that Roger Virus doesn't cover, with a few Roger Virus things in there. But yeah, I'm sure Weasel 
would love to be on your show. I would I would love to chat with him. Um, was War Pigs, uh, besides being a, a cool Black Sabbath song, was it a, a kind of a choice based off the 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 new documentary? No, it was no, but it was it was no. It was Tanya Pearson who did an oral history of women in rock documentary. Mm-hmm. She wanted to do a, a compilation LP to promote it, and I said, "Well, I'm doing War Pigs." And the thing is. Um, the music is totally like Black Sabbath, but I had to find, because I don't have the Aussie falsetto anymore, I had to find a new way of, because lyrics are really good. I mean, they're, they're really political, you know? Yeah. And I had to, I, so I did double vocals where I'm kind of, you know, uh, which is, you know, which is gathered at Black Masses. That's right. That's what we do in the coven. That kind of thing. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sending it to you immediately when we get off, which that- Will be which will be shortly. Okay, awesome. <laughs> okay, one. I appreciate your time. Just the the kind of because I know we've been talking for a minute, and uh, I know you're you're on the move right now, and uh, so I really appreciate it. Um, a couple other questions before before we dive into yeah. it, and I crack open that track and dive because um, that sounds <laughs> yeah. that sounds awesome, and that's such a Lydia thing to do. Add that like kind of like comment track with the singing. That's so yeah. cool. That's so Forget cool. <laughs> on the spoken word, I wanted to know, like, you have all these skills with uh, with um, communicating with the audience. You're able to be sarcastic and funny and serious. And then, like, and I imagine part to kind of t- touch upon what we were talking before, like it, the audience being confused on and maybe like what the words mean per se exactly. But do you notice, like, does the tone and the uh, the performance aspect of it deliver the message more than the words? Or is it vice versa? That part delivers the words more clearly. Well, it's a very good question because what's interesting to me is, you know, sometimes, and this happens occasionally, but this is my favorite element when delivering a spoken word monologue. You'll just see in some people's eyes that their brain is frozen on a picture you just painted and you're already two paragraphs beyond it. So they're kind of in a brain freeze. Now, most people, most artists would be like, oh, you know, I'm so misunderstood. I'm like, if you think you really understand me, you better think a few more times because I might be being sarcastic. I might be saying exactly what I mean. I might be speaking in a forked tongue. I might just be talking poetry. So because I don't have a dogma or a philosophy per se, you know, a the, the what I think is most overlooked, but which is very important to me, is the poetry of the language is twisting shit, you know, and, and also sophisticating. And I mean, you know, when I first began, I mean, it's like teenage Jesus. It's a high pitched harangue. Well, then you have to find other methods in other ways. Other, you have to sophisticate the performance, you know, we have to right. be a bit, and also because, because the context might be uh, more schizophrenic within a piece. So, you know, okay. I, I don't even know how to answer it. I, I hope I, I hope I illustrated a few of the concepts, but I just still find it mandatory that it's done. It has to be done and mandatory to put on shows and curate and bring other people to the stage. Because again, here it is. You can take it or leave it. Nobody's beating you over the head to get in. Definitely. No, like, and no, you did, you did, you did touch upon it. Like, cause there's no, like a, there's no right or wrong way for it can be conveyed, but as long as it's conveyed and that goes back to that, the artist or the performer 
uh, choosing and be, having that action to be able to put it out. Um, kind of like a sub question within that, do you find any of those like methods more successful than not? Like it seems like the comedic route is good at deteriorating and putting someone at ease in a high tense situation maybe, but like on stage, do you find like a, a sarcastic thing uh, or, or, or like a scream it's a very, thing? It's a very good question. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, first of all, the success is in whose eyes, right? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, but this is why, for instance, my later spoken word, more recent, for instance, I would break things into song sized chunks and often have music with it that I, that I compose psychoambient music so that there is more variety. You know what I mean? Because different pieces need different presentations about the tone of what I'm calling delivering them. You know, that, that is important. Everything can't be delivered in the same, in the same, you know, intensity or tonality. So, you know, it's just a matter of what the piece is. Is it a monologue? Is it a lyric? Is it a piece of prose? Is it a storyteller? You know, what is it? Is it cut into song-sized chunks? So, you know, okay. I mean, this is why after all this time, and trust me, I didn't even know a quarter of the 384 songs I've supposedly written. Of course, it sounds like a lot, but then you go, hey, that's not even 10 a year. You better pick up the slack. I, that well, when you do the math like that, yeah, it does, I guess it doesn't sound like a but, but it is a lot. It is a lot. You know, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Hey, that's all I did. Uh, let's face it, I've done other things too besides just sit around and you know doodling some freaking lyrics out. No, oh, your 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 output is <laughs> impressive. Like with the amount of like written work, filmed work, and like recorded works, and like that, it's 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 you weren't sitting around. That's for sure. Even if well, hang on now, Dave. I love sitting around. Don't underestimate my laziness because <laughs> I love to luxuriate. I am a forensic freak. I like to do nothing, sit down, and be quiet. It's just I also know how to discipline my time. Right. So right. that's that. I mean, and look, it's not how much you do. It's it's what it means right. in the end. Right. You know. I mean, period. That's it's not the amount of work. It's, you know, and I don't sit around, you know, look, I don't have a box of unpublished or unsung lyrics under my bed. It's like I work, I create for what needs to be created at that time in whatever format. I don't sit around and think, oh, if I didn't create something today, like some people, oh, fuck, I don't exist. Not true. My existence is art beyond art. That is kind of a joke, but right. You know, well, that's not, that's the not that's really the, the data thing, which is and isn't a joke. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, exactly. There you go. You get it. Um, one and the kind of like it makes sense because okay, like I guess the amount of work you put out is just kind of like the it's to keep the serious the 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 intended work or the work that you really want to convey. Uh, um, well defined, I guess. Like maybe it seems like someone who puts out a lot of work is just putting out all their their rough tracks. If we're comparing it to the music, right? Like in like or rough songs that maybe it's just part of their songwriting exercises they have to do to get. I to don't the good do one. that. First of all, I don't exercise, and second of all, as a musical conceptualist, I mean the concept has to be there. I find the people to do it with, and then I release right. it. I don't put out my musical doodles. 
Right. That's I guess that's what I was I trying to say. <laughs> I don't sizzle. <laughs> when it comes to the spoken word, do you uh, do you write it down or does it come out? Like I know you do with some of them, but do you find like getting out there and like maybe taking like uh, some of the routes like stand-up comedians do, where they try it in front of an audience? And, Hell, like, freaking no! First okay. of all, difference between me and a stand-up comic, they allow the audience to understand the punchline. Right. The audience feels like I'm punching them in the face with both of my punchlines. Well said. Well said. That's, I mean, timing is everything in comedy. I know about timing, but I still don't understand how people do. I, I mean, I'm very specific about the kind of stand-up com- comedy I like, but I, I, it's still kind of mysterious to me because I do stand-up tragedy. But uh, <laughs> so I do. Yeah, um, that's well, well said. That's awesome. Back to what your question was, though. Uh, no, I don't try things out because – it's like I'm even going to go to like my band, Big Sexy Noise. We would never have to rehearse because we knew what to what we were right. doing. Right. So I don't try things out. And and when I'm doing a spoken word, ninety eight percent of it is written down. It just okay. sounds conversational because that's my style of writing for the okay. stage. Right. Right. But, you know, it sounds like I'm just off the top of my head. I can assure you, I am not. <laughs> it's all on the page and usually the pages are in front of me. It's just, I have an eagle eye and it sounds like I'm just talking. Nah. Right. Okay. No, I, I was, there I, is some in there, but you know, it's no, no, no. I'm not trying out a fricking routine after all this time, honey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, it wasn't, I, I guess I didn't mean it like, uh, like reading like that, just more of like when things come to life and like, I, cause I've watched quite a few and I see you with the paper, but like, in, in, in some of them and then some not. So like that's I th- and I know you've said before that you don't put it out unless you know the whole the whole uh, uh, not just the, the blank p- canvas. You have the painting there that you're you're presenting. You're not just right. But I mean, what's bizarre is, look, I can't even memorize my own freaking lyrics. I mean, I think this <laughs> is something that I learned from David Bowie five years. Like my brain hurt like a warehouse. I had no room left to spare. And it's like I might sing lyrics a hundred times and I'm like, I want like a classical musician, the lyrics there, even if they're dunderheaded and six lines repeated. And because it gives me bizarrely enough more freedom because I could have a brain freeze. You know, sometimes yeah. doing spoken word live, I would, I would, I would have a brain freeze where I would go, did I just say that page twice? Of course I never have, but <laughs> because I know how to turn a, fr- a fucking page. But you know what I mean? Sometimes I get a brain freeze because I want to be in the moment. I don't want to have to rely on my memory. Classical musicians have their scores in front of them. It may not seem like I need them, but I like to have them there. And especially if I'm doing a monologue. I mean, they got to be there. I had to memorize two plays in the past with Emilio Camaro. I hated it, but I did it. I can do it, but why? I find it more liberating to have the pages there. It's bizarre. Most other people would say, no. I'm always amazed, for instance, like rappers who not only memorize, but don't write shit down. Right. Like they just go to the studio and they're free flowing. I'm like, amazing. Yeah, it is that it, the memory part of it is in, is pretty, uh, pretty impressive just for anyone who can do that. And like, but like with your point with classical musicians, I mean, they will shed that page, know it note from note, just like you will with your. Uh, spoken with what you wrote, you know, in like be able to even it's just kind of a guide, a guideline at that point, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
That's fascinating. Um, one thing else uh, to shift gears, and maybe it's, I don't know uh, if it's a lighter thing to get into near the end or a heavier thing, but um, it, within the, within the, uh, the documentary, you mentioned this part about self-detox and finding one's love for yourself. And I thought that was very profound. And I don't think that's something that, and I think we've kind of touched upon it throughout this interview quite a bit. But um, the idea of self-detox, like, what, what, what does that look like? Like, or at least what did it look like well, for you? Good question. Because I, I mean, for me, when I had to do it, when I, when I just found it mandatory is you just have to de-louse and you have to really spend time alone quietly. You have to just abolish any polluted thoughts that are not your own, that have been placed upon you or put upon you. You have to understand like, look, any obsession, oh, hang on. I got to go answer the door one second. Okay. As I was saying, any obsession or, you know, nothing is taboo if you know why you're obsessed by it. But to just be run by obsessions or patterns or habits that are placed upon you by conditioning is something that I think people have to learn to break out of. And they have to also realize that, you know, this is what I talk about in my book Paradoxia, the last chapter, where you know, women especially have this void and you can't fill it with other people. You can't fill it with alcohol, drugs, food, people, you know, commerce. You have to fill it with yourself. You have to understand your unique self-worth because if you don't, who the fuck are you and why are you even here? What do you, who, I mean, I just don't need validation. I never did from anybody or anything, but that could be my own inherent arrogance, which I don't think is a bad word when applied correctly. You know, my goal is to help other people become more self-centered, which I don't mean selfish. Right. I mean, understand their own power, uniqueness and purity, their own, you know, the, their uh, possibility for love and understanding beauty and not just being this polluted vessel perverted by all of nature's horrors. And I would say all of it's not even nature's horrors. It's all of the horrors that exist out there, which are lurking around every fucking corner to like psychic parasites to try to invade you and occupy this vehicle, which you can use to, for a better, you know, a better existence. That's well, Damn, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, you are. That, that's amazing. That'll be two hundred and fifty dollars, Dave. All, All right, right come well, here we go. Clean, honey. <laughs> well, Lydia, it's a, I, I don't know. It sounds like someone's at the door. I I really appreciate your time and making time to do this. I look forward, um, uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks here. In a, Absolutely. In I'm sending you war pigs right now. And I look forward to hearing that in like two minutes. So. Great. Okay. Take care. Dave. Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation and I'll put you on to weasel as well. Okay. Okay.